Welcome to War Nouns, a Privateer Press podcast hosted by Line of Sight. I'm Locke, he's Caster, and today we will be talking about The Thousand Cities Part 1. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of War Nouns, our 13th installment of the Lore Nouns series. And today, as Locke has stated, we'll be going over to the Thousand Cities era. And, uh, yeah, it's our uh, first episode of the new year. Is uh, it? Wait, second? We, we, I don't know what episode. I know we have done at least one. Second episode. Third? Second? I think it's second. I don't think, whatever you 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 someone's keeping track somewhere. Um, yeah. Uh, hope everyone's doing really really well. Um, there's not a whole lot of news to talk about, although we normally cover that over the war nouns anyway. So we'll cover that on the next war nouns episode. As there's not really anything to talk about in general right now, um, aside from shipping up epi- uh, issues from Requiem and you know, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> Locke is over here doing some hobbying stuff. Well, I will be prepping to do the lore. I have to keep my mind or my hands occupied so I can listen to your very monotonous voice and not fall asleep. <laughs> hey, it's not that monotonous, is it? Maybe I'm just trained <laughs> to fall asleep to it. Well, that could be. So, on um, this episode is going to be slightly different than bef- uh, than the other Lore Nouns episodes uh, in the regards that I have taken a lot better care of uh, the um, noting down where I got the bits of lore and information. And so I will be notating that down every time we come across a date uh, so that you guys can go and reference that. Uh, if you like that, I have those reference points there for you. Let me know. If you don't like it, also let me know. So I know whether or not you guys would prefer I do or don't do that for future lore nouns. Uh, for the Thousand Cities era, I will be doing that throughout. But when you come to the next era, the Orgoth occupation, uh, then uh, it would be nice to know which way I'm going on that. So, anyways... Um, so, I'm going to state up front what those places I pulled all this resources from, um, and then I got a little piece of paper here that I got it written on, so I keep track of it as well. So, um, the first point of, uh, research material I got is, number one, Hordes Primal. Uh, number two is the Old D20 World Guide. Followed by the third source being the Iron IK RPG Core Rules Book. Number four is No Quarter 63. Number five is Monster Nomicon, both one and two from the D20. What is this, 70s? Why are you giving the credits at the beginning of the show? Because that is. I don't know. Mm. Um, number six is the Forces of War Machine Cephalix. Seven is Iron Kingdom's kings nations and gods number eight is the iron kingdoms unleashed nine is no quarter 53 and 10 is no quarter 58 i will have all of that notated in the show notes so that you can uh quickly reference it from this point forward instead of stating the full name of where i got the research from i will simply be stating what number 
that is. Like number six is forces war machine cephalic, so or four is no quarter 63. Again, see the show notes for that little key there uh, so that you can go look up all this information on your own and read the material for yourself if you so choose. Um, I don't read casually. <laughs> I'm sure some people do. I guess I do read casually some. Yeah. We each have our different formats that we prefer. Mm. You also really like audiobooks, and I don't really do audiobooks. But I do podcasts, so there's some crossover. Anyways, so, uh, The Thousand City Era. Um, you keep trying to force me to listen to those random YouTube audiobooks. You should... Yeah. Sorry, off topic. Hi. How's my brain going? There it is. <laughs> Go on. Um, so, um, if you if you need a refill or tea or water or anything, let me know at any point. Uh, Thousand Cities era goes from... T- okay, I will get to that in a second. Uh, I get my own water. Um, what was I? Oh, yeah. So, Thousand Cities era. This is going to cover the time span of 2000 to 607 BR, before the rebellion. Um, and then it's cutting, it's going from 2000 down to 607 because 607 uh, to 608 is when the Orgoth land. So we're just taking care of events before that. Thank you. All right, so the Thousand Cities era therefore lasted for nearly 1,400 years. It is said to begin with the birth of Thamar and Maro, but that's not strictly true. It really starts 70 years earlier, around 2000 BR, with the Menite religion becoming the unquestionable dominant belief among all humans, the Thousand Cities era truly begins. The priest kings rule over the thousand plus walled cities that now dominate the majority of Western Imran. The Mulgur people, no longer a united tribe, break apart into their individual people, a uh, tribal people. Some tribes choose a nomadic life, while others find secluded places deep in the wilds to call home, while yet others flee across the broken coast to the scarred islands where the priest kings hold no power. During this time, we also see a number of cities banding together into new kingdoms. We see the foundation of Tordor, Thuria, Rinner, Umbre, Beric, as well as several others. Even in the north, the kingdom of Card slowly expands its holdings by right of conquest or diplomacy. The kingdom of Mord sees its golden age come to an end as the kingdom goes into decline. And before the birth of the twins... A man could not choose his spiritual destiny. Before the rise of the Cult of Ascension, also known as the Cult of the Twins, once a person was born, his soul belonged to Menoth, but his body belonged to his earthly masters. Under the absolute rule of the priest kings, the people were oppressed. The hand and foot power of people made up the majority of the power for mills and industry. From dawn to dusk, for every waking moment, all were at the mercy of the priest kings. The only respite was in death, at which time all would spend an eternity in servitude to Minoth in Urkaean. The people silently called out for salvation to their misery, 
and the ability to choose their own destiny. Note, there is a lot of information for this era. I have tried very hard to get every story, interesting fact, or event all in one place for you. Having said that, I may have missed something here and there. If you know of anything or something that managed to get by me, please, please contact me on Discord or email us at warnownspp at gmail.com. Uh, additionally, note the terminology. Okay. Uh, the terminology circa will come up a lot. For anyone not familiar with the term, um, Webster's Dictionary states that if the word circa comes before a date, it means that the stated event happened approximately or around that date or time. Uh, as an example, uh, the Romans built a tower over there by a river circa 300 AD, uh, as no exact date is recorded, but we know it existed around that time. That would be an example of what circa would mean. Um, I'm pretty sure most all of you knew that ahead of time, but just in case, I figured I'd state. Um, Alright, so. Thousand Cities Era, 2000 to 67 BR. Um, let's see here. Alright, so the very first event happens circa 2000 BR. This information coming from... Uh, source 5. Scorn. Over in the Scornlands, Halak exceeds Malpass in size and grandeur, becoming the heart of the Scorn civilization. Many great houses of Malpass abandon the ancient city to build estates within or close to Halak. Also, uh, over in Western Imran, having spent the latter part of the Warlord era breaking up into mul multiple tribes and re relocating all over Western Imran, uh, oh, mul dup, 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 dup. breaking into multiple hives and relocating all over Western Imran, the former people of Uraz, now known to themselves as the Cephalix, work to strengthen their holds and consolidate their strength. They also expand into uh, expand their subterranean networks far into the Thousand Cities era, all while capturing surface dwellers from fringe groups for their experiments without drawing attention. They continue this slow, monotonous trend of expansion and experimentation throughout the entirety of the Thousand Cities era. Uh, oh, that's Source 5 and 6 for that. Next, in the year 1930 BR, from Source 2 and number 7, Maro and Thamar are born, their early life shrouded in uncertainty and debate. 30 years later, well, 25 years later, excuse me, uh, we come to 1905 BR, Source 3 and 7. The writings and teachings of the twins begin to circulate among the intellectual communities of Caspia, becoming tremendously subversive to the Menite faith. Now I'll read 
Let's see here. Mara was... Uh, okay, so Mara was raised as a Mennite and respected the lawbringer for the gifts that fostered civilization. Yet he questioned how the true law was interpreted, and in particular he challenged the tyranny of the priesthoods. The Mara was even more extreme, her hatred of the Mennite priesthoods. Historians have surmised that the twins' parents may have been executed by scrutators giving rise to their shared sentiment. Their respective teachings proved to be tremendously subversive. As early as 905 BR, the influence of the writings could be seen across the intellectual community of Caspia and beyond. Morrow served as a soldier for a decade of his early life, and he wrote about the horrors of war and the challenges of finding honor in the darkest of moments. He was an orator beyond compare, as well as a charismatic leader, and spoke wherever he traveled, first in the streets of Caspia and later on pilgrimages abroad. He took time to lend aid to the less fortunate, particularly those suffering from lasting injuries, disease, famine, and gained a reputation as a healer and worker of small miracles. Morrow's path to enlightenment and the questions he would leave for later generations emphasized the pursuit of a greater good. He believed living a good life required more than obeying the true law. Such ben uh, benevolence, mercy, compassion, and self-sacrifice are such as those things. He proselyted that through reflection and deep understanding of the world, a person could transcend the flesh, unlocking the limitless potential of the immortal soul. Stop bumping the desk, please. Sorry. Uh, this could then be wielded to the betterment of all. Although at the outset, Tomorrow and Tamara seemed cer uh, shared certain beliefs, their paths divided and became opposed, both believing in questioning Mennite authority and seeking enlightenment. But Thamar did not agree this required self-sacrifice. Rather, she asserted unlocking the potential of the human soul required absolute freedom, physical, mental, and spiritual. For her, the betterment of mankind required each person to find his individual strength and to rise above all those who lacked the will. Thamar had a hunger for knowledge and came to believe that human mind could perceive the very fabric of reality and shape it. In her quest for enlightenment, she immersed herself in the occult, seeking mastery of the supernatural and the, uh, and the enfeeble, including unholy and forbidden lore. She learned to speak every tongue and consume tomes and scrolls with a voracious appetite. While Morrow's teachings would take root and eventually be embraced by established society, Thamar was looked to by radical thinkers and outcasts as well as those seeking to free themselves from tyranny. The twins' respective cults and writings came to the attention of the scrutators across the South, who initiated a campaign to eradicate their influence. 
Their followers were seized, tortured, and then executed by being racked or burned alive. Hearing of this persecution, Marwanthamar reconciled and put out a call for uh, all who had suffered under Menite rule. Thousands saw this as their chance to repay the priesthood for countless excesses. Hmm. All right, that brings us to the year 1900 BR. So all that happened over a five-year span. Source number two and seven. The twins, Mar and Thamar, marched on Caspia. The cult of Morrow begins to spread exponentially at this rate. It's known mostly as the cult of Morrow. Thamar has her own, and they're kind of lumped in and not, and it's kind of wishy-washy in the verbiage. But if it says cult of Morrow, at this point, it means all kind of the same, same thing. You can just say the cult of the twins. Cult of, hey, there we go. Cult of the twins. Um, okay, so. The gathering throngs became an army that marched on Caspia in 1900 BR. The priest king of that city, Herak Haletius, met them with his own zealous soldiers, confident the creator was on his side. Amid a great battle, Morrow fought the priest king personally, eventually disarming him and demanding his surrender. The Mar, however, intervened to impale the unarmed priest with her spear before he could even answer. Morrow vowed that she would answer for this act after the battle was won. This was the beginning of an irreconcilable divide. Soon the remaining Menite army was swept aside and the twins had their victory. The pair were welcomed into Caspia as heroes. Mara was urged to rule the city and guide its people, a responsibility he reluctantly accepted, hoping to put his principles into practice. The Enchiridion, uh, which is the uh, combined, uh, it's kind of like the Bible of Morrow, but Thamar's teachings are in it as well, but mostly it's used by the Morrowans. Ah, okay. Um, so, Enchiridion speaks of this time as a difficult ordeal when Morrow faced dilemmas for which there was no easy solutions. His writings admit to mistakes in these early years and warn that achieving the greater good is never simple for those in authority. His first trivial in, uh, involved, or sorry, trivial involved cementing a peace with the remaining priesthood. Morrow had no desire to drive them from the city or deprive them of their religion, seeking harmony. He reached an accord. He promised to protect Menite temples and pay homage to the creator of man. And lastly, the Thamar would answer for the crime of murdering Hierarch Helaitas. Morrow brought his sister before him and told her that there uh, what had been agreed. Displaying unusual humility, she begged forgiveness for her rash actions. 
Mara thought her repentance insincere. <laughs> no, no, and ex exiled her from Caspia, promising death should she return. Thus the Mar endured being cast from the city she had fought to free, and further embittered her to all who sat in authority, including her brother. Dun, dun, dun. As the master of the city, Morrow felt driven to expunge evil from its streets and order Thamar's followers imprisoned. He sought to eliminate all crime and corruption, a task that proved impossible and promptly increasingly and prompted increasingly stern measures. While life for the Caspian citizens had improved tremendously under Morrow's wise guidance, Many freedoms they expected were curtailed instead. Mm-hmm. All right. So this, uh, he ruled over Caspia for six years. <coughs> That's a uh, long time. Yeah. But it's not a long time. No. Not, not really in the grand scheme of things. So that brings us to 1894-BR. Source 2 and number 3. Six years later, the climactic return between the twins occur. Ooh, yes. Thamar returns to Caspia, taking charge of an army of followers that rose up from within the city and those that came with her. City officials who had governed the city in Morrow's name were murdered in their homes or on the streets of Caspia. Carving a path of destruction, her and her army marched on Morrow's personal palace. Thamar displayed terrifying powers over the elements. Those who tried to stop her died helplessly, being torn apart by fierce winds or set ablaze by dark fires. Or impaled by her spear. Buildings crumbled to ruin in her presence, and the dead rose up behind her, set loose to terrorize the living. Would you like to read this part, or do you want me to continue? Do you want me to read this part for you? Oh, that's entirely up to you. You want me to read this part for you? Ready? Yes. Proceed. Put that light in just the wrong place. As Morrow sought to protect the innocent from his sister, sister's unholy power, Thamar taunted him, accusing him of turning into what he had both uh, had what they had both despised. She pointed out how weak the city had become under his rule, with its people uh, deprived of liberty and too meek to defend themselves from the hostility, um, hostile world beyond Caspian the Wall. In a frenzy of destructive power, uh, she cast, um, she caused the sky to blacken and summoned a storm of smoke and fire that threatened to consume the city. Morrow saw in these final moments how his, his own choices had led to this, how his unwillingness to forgive had sent her down a darker path. As Thamar prepared to destroy all he had built, he saw only one way to um, only way 
the only way to stop her was to sacrifice himself and stepped forward and accepted the burden of her wrath. Thamar struck him down in full sight of the gathered throngs. All witnessed as Morrow's flesh became spirit and, uh, and he ascended into the sky as the unnatural storm was uh, dispersed by the light um, by a light brighter than the sun the power of Morrow's apotheosis stilled the wind um, the wild air crumbled the wake um, the waking walking walking dead to dust and protect protected those gathered from Thamar's hatred empowered by his example and no longer fearing Thamar the masses overwhelmed her rather than using her power to escape she remained true to her own own path unwilling to submit and was torn apart by the mob love that part <laughs> in her death Thamar too ascended becoming black smoke and dis uh, is that dissipating or Dispersed. Oh, dispersed as she passed to Urkan. All that remained of her was, um, of her were the blackened pages of her writing. Ugh. One of Maro's foremost disciple, a man named Laertes. Uh, Prado. Laertes mm. Prado. Collected the Mars written works in um, Wentworks, intent on destroying them, but on, uh, but an apparition of Morrow <laughs> manifested and bade him stop. Morrow told Prada, Prada. Prada to bind his own writings with the Mars and insisted his sister's words should be preserved alongside his own to illustrate the Volition. Volition. Um, encompassing both of their choices. In her writings, um, in her writings were lessons as important to those who, ha um, who would come after as, the, um, as his own were. The figure then faded, but his followers did not mourn, knowing Morrow would continue to watch over them from Urkan as a god. There you go. Just became a god. Yep. Yep. So there's something that I noticed when I was uh, going over all of this is effectively what's happened, given what we've read before, is Maro and Thamar just underwent the exact same process as the Defilers minus being smited. Oh. They realized the the inner uh, divine strength within within themselves. I mean, they were own... smarted, just not by men off. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. They they were struck down by humans. Oh, well, I mean, but yeah, yeah. Are you saying that Maro is a defiler? Uh, is is that really is that really what you're gonna say here? No, I'm not I gonna mean... say that they are. They just they realized much like the heretic that the there's the 
um, divine power within all humans if they know how to find it. <laughs> or figure it out, or enlighten, or however you want to word that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Next. The Mennites are not pleased by all of this. Yeah, and Marl's not around to protect them anymore. No. So, <laughs> in 1880, so 14 years later, the Mennite priesthood initiate the purging. So they've been trying to curtail and expunge the uh, followers of Maru and Thmar everywhere they can. However, this is met with limited success. So they begin something called the purging. Maru and Thamar became symbols of two distinct paths of enlightenment. Oh, this is from uh, source number two. Uh, as well as source number... Do, 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 do. I didn't write it down. Corals is... Okay, so two and three. Source two and three. So, um, all right, continuing. Maru and Thamar became symbols of two distinct paths of enlightenment. Word of their respective ascension spread despite efforts by the Mennite scrutators to repress it. The Mennites broadened their hunts and, be and this became the purging. A terrible time of religious strife pursued as vigorously as once the Mennites had contested with the Mulgar. Entire communities were declared anathema and eradicated as the fledgling Marowans were driven into exile. While Maro's teachings were never entirely expunged from Caspia, the Mennite Temple reclaimed leadership of the city in 1882. Oh, so I guess in... So it must have been like 83 that this occurred then. Interesting. Okay. Um, this was the year that the Keeper's Lederus Prado was captured, then publicly tortured and executed by the city's scrutators. The original Anchiridon was lost and thought to have been destroyed, although copies had been transcribed by hand and were preserved by priests fleeing the city. Prado became a hero of the early church as he refused to name any Marowans in later centuries, it came to light that he had hidden the Ancurion and taken knowledge of its location to his grave. That brings us to 1866, source number three. In 1866, a priest named Nolan, or, yeah, Noland Aurelius heeded portents he claimed were from Morrow himself to found a fortified monastery deep in the Wormwall Mountains and dedicated it to the preservation of the writings and teachings of the twins. This was named the Divinium, with Aurelius becoming the first Primarch of the Church of Maro. Under his direction, the church hierarchy took shape with its clergy organizing efforts to hide the faithful from Mennite scrutators. Even as Aurelius was chosen by Maro, in death the god appeared to usher his souls to the afterlife with him. Aurelius became the first archon of Maro, an angelic spirit who would assist the god in Urcan. 
A week later, his Archon manifested before Aurelius's successor as a sign of Maro's favor. And from that point forward, every, pri uh, every Primarch after death has become an Archon to join a growing host working to fulfill the will of Maro. After the passing of the god, each new Primarch has been sig uh, signified by manifestation of one or more Archons as an irrevocable sign of Maro's guiding, guiding hand. Maro has named the, uh, was named the Prophet, as though the Archons he passed down prophecies to the faithful as well as other momentous portents were given through them. While the very survival of their faith was tenuous in these early days, the teachings of the twins proved to be enduring. Thamar's cult spread slowly, even as Maro's rose to prominence. The relationship between these faiths would prove to be complex and ever-changing, perhaps reflecting the relationship between the gods themselves. All right. Next, uh, we get to the events of circa 1850 to 1800. Somewhere in this 50-year period, the following occurs. Source number two and number nine. Note that these events are stated in each source to have happened in a different order. Uh, for ease of reasoning, I have placed them in the most probable order of events, um, but it's not exactly clear. So, Mord, the kingdom of Mord and the dragons. Toruk is spotted flying over the mainland. Everblight's dragon spawn, however, draw the attention of Toruk, who attacks Everblight in Mord, or Everblight Shadow of Mord. Wounded in the flight, Everblight flees Mord with Toruk hot in pursuit. Realizing he cannot get away, Everblight intentionally flies close to the lair of Nectar, drawing him out of his lair. This successfully directs, uh, distracts Toruk and buys him enough time to escape by diving into the Blindwater Lake. Meanwhile, Nectar, fighting for his life against his father, is eventually torn apart and as a thonk is consumed by Toruk. Everblight buries himself during this time deep into the bottom of the lake to recover from his wounds. Historians note that there is a sudden la uh, absence of reptilian horrors among the ranks of the Mordic armies around this time. With this event, the Kingdom of Mord's Golden Age comes to a sheer and abrupt end. Next. After a, quote, mighty upheaval, end quote, believed to be the battle between Toruk and Everblight, the Midar people succeed in a war of independence and move east, forming a formal kingdom of Midar. Up until the occupation era, they exist as such. It is believed that these people are the same people that we know as the Midlanders today. Also, Rob Vinstra leads the Midar people from the lands of Mord to establish their own uh, kingdom of Midar. I stated that in the wrong order. Oops. So Rob Vinstra uh, is the one who leads the Midar people out to form the kingdom. 
Um, it's not stated whether or not he becomes their first king or otherwise. Don't know. Um, probably, though. All right, so next, in 1810, source number three, Katrina, patron of valor, becomes the first ascendant of Morrow. Born in the frozen north, she died as a knight while protecting Morrowin priests and thinkers from the Mennite purging. One of the first and greatest defenders of the Morrowin faith, she succumbed to her wounds suffered in battle against the Mennites while defending Primarch Aurelius. That brings us to the uh, 1780 BR. Uh, source number three. Ecris, patron of secrets, diviners, and forbidden lore. Ecris was the first scion and alleged lover of Thamar. Before her ascension, that is. He was uh, a peerless occultist who determined the Talgish glyphs derived from Mord. He also expanded early mystical writings of Thamar and made pacts with Infernalists to extend his life and complete his enlightenment. So one thing that was not touched on, as I somehow missed uh, writing it down, but it is stated in uh, source number three here, that um, Thamar had a voracious appetite for occult teachings. We know this. Well, she also uh, found Mordic, um, um, like scholars and sages and using their language derived the language that we currently know as Telgish. She invented the language of Telgish. What's Telgish? That anytime you cast a spell, ah. those runes that show up, yeah. that's Telgish. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, different races use different glyphs. They're in their own tongue, but um, also the spell in War Machine, Telgish Mark, and whatnot. It's in her language. Oh. We've been, we have thought for many, many years that that was the language, perhaps of the Infernals or something like that. But no, it's actually one that she invented. Mark straight up invented magic, people. <laughs> I mean, human magic. Human magic, yes, most certainly. All right. It was invented by Thamar. Yep. So all you human magic users out there, owe that all to Thamar. Most certainly. All right, so circa 1700 BR, source number four and five. Scorn. The greatest house war of the era erupts. Lord Tyrant Norvak turns the battle into a nightmare by shattering three ancestral stones of his house, Ooh. thus unleashing the kvasses upon his enemies. <laughs> the resulting oh. carnage finally ends only after the entire eastern side of the capital city of Halak is laid to waste and ruin. Just a little genocide of your own people. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find it in that exact and either of those sources, but there was another excerpt I came across and forgot to write down that he was not able to control the Kavasses. He let them loose, told them which direction to go, and after that they killed everything. Yeah, that's what a Kavas does. 
Like I said, you know, just a little little genocide from your own people. Yep. Uh, the dragon Golvang Town Ender begins destroying numerous towns and villages across Midar, Rin, uh, and Umre for unknown reasons. He just wakes up from his lair and starts weighing lace to everything. I mean, hey, he's a dragon. Does dragony things. I mean, why not? <laughs> Circa 1690 BR, source number two. Dragons are just Christians. What? <laughs> Nothing. Find your own business. <laughs> um, the Kingdom of Card, uh, spurred on by Circle Orbros Blackclads, uh, the Cossite, Scarab, and Card tribes begin to battle for regional dominance. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. They lived Circle. peacefully up to that time. Circle never met a civil war it didn't like. Or didn't try to cause. <laughs> uh, circa 1670 BR, uh, source number two and eight. To weaken the northern people, the Black Calads spread a brand new plague to ravage the Kossites and Skirov tribes. However, the cards are somehow immune to this never-before-seen uh, disease <laughs> and seize the town of Molga and rename it Kardov. <laughs> the oh. Skirov and Kossite tribes are devastated by the epidemic while the Circle leadership realized that the old witch must have intervened. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who, who don't know up till now or forgotten or whatever, the old witch has always... Um, Ben had a soft spot. Her, whatever she does, is for the best mind of Kador. Yes. It always has, you know, Kador in mind. First and foremost, yeah. definitely. Uh, so sixteen forty BR source number one, Taruk and Sharziks clash high above the island of Satix. Sharziks' blighted blood reigns over the island. Blighting the Mulgur remnants living there and transforming them into the people later known as the Styxes. Mm -hmm. Or Statistics. Depending on the way you like to enunciate it. Just call them the stats. <laughs> what? Huh? What? Uh, 1612, source number two. Weirdo. The human clans unite to establish the kingdom of Thuria. Trolkin and the area are forced to migrate northwards uh, toward, uh, I don't have it stated here, but towards uh, modern-day Umbre, or uh, uh, Lael. 1610, source number three. Dailies, patron of necromancy, rebellion, and self-determination. She was the second scion of Thamar and waged a campaign of terror against Mennite temples and priesthoods. Desecrating burial grounds to raise the dead, Delis made war on the Mennites while shielding the Marwan communities from Scrutator's wrath. <laughs> uh, you gotta love the Thamar. Their very ends justify the, justify the means. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering, you know... What the, uh, you know, Illuminate Arcanists are going to do later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I protected you people. <laughs> we're spoiling. Uh, but so. I, just, I just, you know, you guys you guys think. 
You guys think that the um, the Menites had themselves some burnings? They weren't the only ones. No. Okay, go on. 1590 BR, source number three. Elena, patron of pilgrims, proselytizers, travelers, and messengers. She was the second descendant of Maro and conducted pilgrimages to the furthest corners of the continent. Elena proselytized profusely, which had the effect of rapid conversions to the Maroan faith, despite the purge still being in full swing. One of the biggest reasons for this was her decision to perform charitable works for the suffering, where the Mennonite church was always turning a blind eye to anyone in need. Yeah. Circa 1500 BR. Source number 2, 4, and 8. After 200 years, Gulvang, known now as the Ashen King, suddenly stops raising towns across Midar, Rin, and Umbrate and retreats deep into his lairs in the Kavask Hills. I, I love the, the upgrade just, of, his, of his title. He just woke up one day as a town minister, went out, or town destroyer, whatever, yeah. went out, decided to go on a 200-year-long rampage. A 200-year-long rampage. Wow. Yep. And then just gets bored and goes back to bed. <laughs> that is, he, he, that he, is one hell of a waking up on the wrong side of the cave. <laughs> he wakes up the town ender and goes to bed the Ashen King. Yeah. Um, he just woke up. I don't like my title. I am going to go do something about this. <laughs> I don't know which one of you is responsible, but so I will burn you all. No, I just I don't, I don't think he was like mad about it. He's just like he's like determined. Woke up. I don't like my title. I'm gonna go and I am going to constructively or destructively make it better. And he did. Yeah. Uh, over in the Scornlands, uh, the northern territories in the Scornlands is the Shroudwall Mountains. The um, basically all of the towns on the northern side of the lake are butted kind of right up against these mountains. Well, the Undying Tempest was on the other side of those mountains, a region of unnatural storms and flooding north of the Shroudwall Mountains. Finally finally fades keep in mind this has been going since the um the time of the burning sky so thousands of years when now. the when the when the world went crack yes um this allows the scorn to explore what will become later known as the northern marches um, next, the Kingdom of Mord collapses and ceased to exist after many, many wars with the Midar people over the last 300 years or so. And, you know, King of Ashes and all that. Or yeah. Ashen King and all that. Well, he, he actually wasn't messing with uh, Mord. He, he was messing with the Midar, who were at war with the Mord, and well, Midar managed to and overcome. they were probably still in this. They they were they were in that area, so he probably messed with them some. Oh, that's that's. I mean, it's not like he comes up possible. to his city and goes, "You know what? You aren't humans. I'm not going to burn your town." He's not that considerate. All right, fair enough. He probably burned more than a few of their towns and forward fortresses to the ground. 
like all he saw was a building in the air went her buildings nope <laughs> not enough birding mm. uh so the wilderness people such as the trolkin gatorman and third tribes move into the lands one thorn excuse me uh move into the lands once held by the mord and with the help of black clads they regrow the swampy region and the black clads begin the slow slow process of sh uh, sinking all of the ruins into the undergrowth all right then yes i think that will probably be enough for today for this episode mm. yes with mm. the collapse destruction of mord yes so sad not really if you actually live there, but I like the Kingdom of Mord. I don't know why. They're just... They're Mord. Yeah. So well, what, you are playing Trolls right now. Maybe you feel an affinity. Yes. And there's more to talk about this whole sinking of Mordic runes and whatnot later. We'll be coming back to that. I just love that they go up and they're like, We're not going to raise this building. We're going to sink it into the ground. Seriously, I mean, a good lightning bolt. No more building. But nope, they're going to sink it into the ground. Yep. I, I I don't know. Maybe they just figured it's like, this ground's swampy and whatnot. And we'll, I, I don't know. Why sink it? It is a very curious thing. They didn't want to leave it. They could have just, like, dismantled it block by block. They could have sucked an, or, you know, you know, put some Argus puppies in there. They'd destroy the whole thing. Oh, oh yeah. gosh. Uh yeah. You know. Or turn it into a Throg and Gorax sort of playground or something. No one will want to touch it. Breeding. That's where they breed their Throgs and Goraxes. The Throgs and Goraxes, yes. Yes. They break everything. And the Griffins. Great place on top of those uh, castles and whatnot for them to be. Yeah. No. Then you, have to don't, then you don't have to go build tree fortresses or put your cities at the top of mountains. No, you have pre-built towers to put your creatures in. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, just go and sick a couple of rams in there. You know, they run back and forth. <laughs> all of a sudden, all the stones are on the ground. And when people come through, they're not going to be like, Oh, there's a building sticking out of the swamp. I want to go inside and check it out. No, they're going to be like, that's a lot of rubble. And they're going to leave. So what did you think of the, the first part of this era? What you mean the whole? I like I like the twin things. I like I like how like part of Morrow's divinity is who like oh man I effed up. <laughs> <laughs> like like his greatest teachings to his followers are learn from your mistakes, learn from my mistakes, be a better person. Yeah, it, it's it's not an easy path. Trust me, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's God, and he got that way because he was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> because because he couldn't get along with his sister. Yeah. Basically. They, they agreed a thing had to be done, but could not agree how to do it. I mean, do you think if they just got into family counseling that maybe he wouldn't have become a God? And on that note, thank you all for joining us today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh. We, we love having you here and hope to see you again real soon bye Mwah.